The Guardian. Hello, I'm Matt Wells. This is Media Talk. Coming up this week, TalkSport 1, Radio 5 Live Nil. Is there too much tittle-tattle on the BBC's rolling news network? Also in the podcast, another senior News of the World journalist is arrested. We bring you the latest update on the phone hacking saga again. And... It was dreadful. No, no, really dreadful. Um, and I'm saying that to be kind because you will never, ever, ever have a career in singing. Remember these words, you're not a singer. Is Simon Cowell going to call time on his own X Factor journey? And can the show and ITV cope without him? Get your hankies out, boys and girls. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Now, first things first, uh, I need to start out with a big thank you to my lovely Twitter friend, Adam Beresford, who answered my desperate calls uh, for a spare ticket to see Kylie uh, at the O2 this week. Um, it was, let me assure you, quite the spectacle. Hot tunes, uh, hot boys, and even hotter pants. Uh, still, it's back down to earth today, and sadly, neither of my panellists are wearing any gold lame, at least uh, none that I can see anyway. Uh, making their long-awaited return to the studio are Maggie Brown and John Plunkett. Good to see you both. John, you've been, you've been at the launch of Britain's Got Talent this week, I read from Media Guardian. Uh, very exciting, yes. Uh, I could see uh, Michael McIntyre and David yes. Hasselhoff, their new judges. So, uh, 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 yes, uh, uh, good, What yeah. impression did you get about, I mean, is it going to be... What's it going to be like? I think they're going to miss Cal. I think they're going to miss the uh, the integrity and the uh, the ballast uh, that, that Cal. <laughs> right, <laughs> if yeah, I can put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Although McIntyre brought quite a lot of ballast himself. Yeah, by the waistline. Yeah, so dear. Um, uh, you, uh, Maggie, hello. Uh, uh, you've been lunching with uh, with with the Grace and the Good this week. Well, I've just got back from Malta, where I've been actually reading the paper and learning all about Libya about 24 hours before everybody else. But, um, no, I've been out and about. I've been at a launch of Shadowline, the fantastic new thriller, which is coming up on BBC Two in May, which I thoroughly recommend. We'll we'll, we'll maybe talk a bit about all of of that later. Now, you might have expected us to start with the uh, big news, which is the third arrest uh, in the news of the world phone hacking saga. Uh, The arrest is of a uh, senior reporter, James Weatherup, uh, and it's of a, a bit of a different order of the arrests last week because it was unannounced. The police turned up at his house uh, in uh, the, the early hours of the morning and arrested him. And the police have also gone into the uh, News of the World offices in Wapping to search them. And sources at the Met have told The Guardian that they were unhappy with the level of cooperation that the News of the World gave them uh, in their previous searches. So it's all big news. But I sort of think that we've kind of... It covers ground that we've done a lot on the podcast. So uh, we'll, we'll go into that a bit later on to, to save your uh, boredom. And I thought we would start with some of the goings-on at the BBC because we don't do that uh, enough either, do we? So um, News just in, in fact, on the, on the BBC, uh, relating to TalkSport's complaint about Radio 5 Live. Now, TalkSport, you remember, complained that Radio 5 Live's news output wasn't uh, significant enough, and a lot of what they were broadcasting uh, was just chat, and, and actually much of it uh, related to sport, and they complained to the BBC Trust about the way all of this was measured. And it does seem that the BBC Trust has found that TalkSport raises significant and valid questions about Radio 5 Live's news output ahead of a service review that's coming up soon. Also this week, an influential cross-party committee of MPs has called for cuts to the World Service to be reversed in order to protect its reputation around the world. And the BBC's head of news, Helen Bowden, has admitted that flying big-name presenters into anchor programmes from the scene of a breaking news story has often been a waste of money. We should gather all these together because they all sort of speak to the same uh, issue, um, Maggie, don't they, which is governance and uh, how the BBC spends its money and how, it's, how it regulates itself. It certainly does. And I, for one, really welcome the uh, Radio 5 statement because it's been pretty clear to those of us who've been listening to Radio 5 since it began that it has slipped a long way from its original promise. Uh, it is actually meant to be doing 75% news 
And uh, even if you define that loosely, uh, it's pretty clear that it's not actually living up to what it should be doing. And it should be doing more regional coverage too. Well, TalkSport's complaint, uh, John, of course, is that the measurement uh, that the BBC applies for news and the definition of news is unsatisfactory because whole programmes are categorised as news. Richard Bacon's show, for example, two hours every afternoon, lots of different stuff is talked about. Some some of it may be news and some of it may be chat and some of it may be chat about sporting news. Uh, But that is all all classed as news. And, uh, and, and, uh, and TalkSport want that, to be, um, want, to, want that to be redefined, don't they? That's right, that's right. The problem is, uh, especially with a station like Five Live, uh, is all in the definitions. Uh, I mean, one person's news programme is another person's uh, tittle-tattle. Um, uh, entertaining tittle-tattle, it may, it may well be. But uh, th- I think the Trust has found that, um, that Five Live does hit its targets of, of 75% of output being news. But that's only if you include shows like Richard Bacon uh, falling into the news category. Now, well, now, it's, uh, it, it's on the current methodology, on the BBC's own methodology. That's that, right. The, the, the Trust says, yes, it is 75%. And but, I'm sure a lot of people would disagree that Richard Bacon show, entertaining as it is, does not necessarily qualify yeah. as, as, a, as a news programme, hard news or, or soft news. So I think what the Trust uh, wants to do uh, looking forward is to, is to tighten up those definitions. Mm. Uh, and so uh, we will be able to see, and more importantly, they will be able to see uh, exactly what qualifies as, as news. But I mean, it's not easy because it changes from day to day. If there's a big breaking news story um, during the course of Richard Bacon's show or, or, or Gabby Logan's show or wherever in the five news schedule, they will cut to, to a news, uh, rolling news. Uh, yeah. And another day it might be, you know, th- three interviews with guests who have got a, a book, a film and a, a new TV show to plug. Yeah. Um, but for, for, uh, for, for its com- commercial competitors, and particularly talk sport, uh, how, much, how much news they, uh, they have to broadcast and, and whether they hit those targets is, is very important for them. Yeah, the, 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 the Trust is saying that a more nuanced method of monitoring the proportion of news output would be, be desirable. Because Maggie, it you, you know, if, they, if, if they're doing a big story about the Olympics, it's sort of, you know, it's hard to say, is it a news story because it's a big news event or should that be classed as sport? And, where, and when you're talking about the uh, you know, the, the, when there's a big discussion about Premier League footballers and their tactics and um, and decisions of referees or or their behaviour on the field, for for example, is that news or or is it sport? And and and, and perhaps quite a lot is being thrown by the BBC into the news category. Well, talk- I just think there's been a lot of drift and there hasn't been a lot of checking about what's been going on and about the quality of output. Um, I'm, I'm particularly dismayed by Christian O'Connell's uh, Saturday morning programme where they've been having a running gag about knits in children's hair, and it just has become rather a silly pro a city station in parts. The other thing I would say is that this shows actually that the BBC Trust is actually getting into its stride and it is being now uh, tough and not um, uh, going along really with just the easy replies that it perhaps uh, had been used to getting from BBC executives. Everybody's having to sit up a bit more carefully and pay mm. attention. So uh, uh, what happens now? There's a, so the, 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 all of this is happening, John, because there's a review of the BBC Five Live service licence Uh, coming up isn't there so presumably all of this will feed into that yes the talk sport review was in advance of that um uh, in, in advance of the trust um, doing its uh, service license review of Five Live, which it does on a rolling basis of all the uh, the BBC's uh, radio stations, I think, I think what's clear with Five Live is that it has been transformed under its its current controller, Adrian Van Claveren, and it's gone from I think it's gone even from describing itself as a news and sports station to a news, sport, and entertainment station. Mm. So what began uh, several years ago now with, with fighting talk on a Saturday morning, that sort of uh, ethos of a, a sort of a, a, an entertainment station has spread into other parts of the schedule, like, like the Saturday morning show hosted by Christian O'Connell. And it is dangerous 
Congress. And it's well, also, is it though? I mean, it, it I mean, is. It's, if, it's if, exactly if, what the BBC shouldn't be doing. This is the mission well, creep that yeah, goes on. So got, it's not covering worthy things like regional issues, regional newspaper reviews, etc., etc. Well, you it's could say doing, that that's done on Radio Four. There's, the, you know, the excellent Steve Hewlett Media Show does all of that, and there's the Today Programme and PM and the World. When there's loads of serious news and journalism being done on on BBC, and perhaps it's 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 right and proper that Five Live is a is a distinctive station. Well, from radio. I think a review is very necessary, and it's obviously going to take the same kind of um, time as uh, for the trust as it did over Radio Four. Now, there are many things that people have complained about the Radio 4 review but one of the good things about it is that it has focused attention on how you draw in people, the, the new uh, potential listeners to Radio 4 which is all very good and healthy. So I think that the fact that there's going to be a formal review by the Trust is, is a really really um, useful thing to be happening right now. And I think Five Live, it, it suffered as well I think from the acting in the midday news bulletin which I think was a, was a, was a mistake. Uh, exactly. And Now we're on four for an hour at midday you have you and yours and five you have Gabby Logan show but I think the hour midday bulletin which is probably quite expensive that Midday news bulletin, but was a was a very important part of the five live. I schedule. think it's gone for ratings. I think it's yeah. lost its way. Let's have a quick line on the uh, World Service. Uh, the Commons Foreign Affairs Select Committee, as I said, has called for the um, World Service's future funding to be ring fenced, saying that the sixteen percent budget cut, and this was of course announced as part of the government's comprehensive spending review back in January, would have quote long term ramifications. But the, uh, the the thing is, John, about this is that this is a done deal, isn't it? This is not this is not going to be reversed. Whatever the the, the Commons Culture Select committee says because it was all bound up in in in, in the the big bbc license fee deal I feel that is the case, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily too little, but I think it is too late what the, uh, the Foreign Affairs Select Committee is saying. It's asked for the, uh, the, the 16% cut to be reversed, and it's also called for the um, uh, for future funding to be ring-fenced to, to make sure this doesn't happen again, even when it's overseen by the, by the BBC. Because the um, funding is being taken in, in-house, isn't it? By that's the right, and, and Director John Mark, Mark Thompson made lots of reassuring noises that its budget may well go up once the BBC takes it over, but the, uh, the members of the committee were, were far from convinced that this is, is going to happen, and so then it may get to the case when the BBC uh, is responsible uh, um, uh, that uh, we, we could see further cuts in the future. Maggie? Well, I'm not sure, because Chris Patton, the new chairman of the BBC, made it very clear when he appeared before the Culture Media Sport Committee last month that he regarded the cuts to the World Service as very regrettable, and uh, these were something that he would certainly want to be helping to reinstate once the BBC takes over. So Patton, you see, this is what is so wrong about these these. 16% cuts. They were done without any public discussion, without any consultation. Now, foreign affairs and the World Service uh, area is something that doesn't get tabloid headlines, but it does matter an awful lot to the more, what you might call, sophisticated class in this country of people who maybe um, uh, travel a lot and are more internationally um, focused. And for those people, and, and it includes a lot of MPs too, They can see these cuts for what they are. Many of them are undesirable. And we have seen already the BBC having to have a, 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 or having a rethink over the Hindi service, which is partly restored while they look for funding. And there's also been um, a a, a rowing back over some of the Arabic services as well, because of look what's happening at the moment in, in, in the Middle East. I think that this has been terribly botched and it ought to be a lesson for the future that you do not make these kind of decisions. And and if you're the BBC, you don't allow your strategists to do this. You actually have a public campaign and you explain what is proposed before a decision like this, which is pretty irreversible, I agree with John, uh, is made. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, let's have a, uh, have a brief uh, run around the comments by the BBC's head, ne- head of news, Helen Bowden. Uh, she was at the Voice of the Listener and Viewer conference this week, and she's admitted that flying big-name presenters to anchor programmes from the scene of breaking news stories has often been a waste of money. This is something we all see, John, isn't it? You know, Hugh Edwards or George Allegaia or whoever it is flies out and stands there, and, and, yeah, and you often feel that, that they could have just done, done this just as, just as easily in the studio, and, she's, and this is, she's sort of admitting this, isn't she? I think it often appears to be a, a token gesture. I think this this um, this trend, I think, started uh, with the the tsunami. I think in t- in two, at the end of two thousand and four, when when Sky sent a lot of yes, Sky started doing it, didn't uh, they? And all the and other the BBC news channels had a bit of a kicking for, for you know. I think I was involved in th- doing some of the kicking. I saying that they were being left behind. Yes, yes. But uh, so now, no, I'm, now they're I'm, the first. Now you're like, kicking them for sending <laughs> yeah, them out. No, it's but terrible. Then <laughs> does it too? I mean, Mark Austin has been you know fronting from Libya. And, uh, yeah, and uh, they all do it. They now, all do they? it. To be absolutely honest, I mean, she wasn't saying we will never do it, but she was saying we are going to be a lot more careful. And 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 you have to do it in in a way that adds to the story because they have a particular expertise or interest and they can bring, they can add something journalistically perhaps. Well, I mean, we're seeing it every night that the, the really good presenters, John Simpson, etc., the experience one, they can virtually anchor and pull together coverage from a region from where they are in that region. So it, it is doubling up. And uh, she also had a line about uh, local radio. She said um, uh, on BBC Local Radio there's been this discussion that perhaps it would share content with uh, Five Live that we were mentioning earlier on. Uh, um, but, well, not, not in Five Live in its current incarnation, perhaps. Now, actually, uh, she, she, she but she wrote, wrote back, back on that. this, yes. What she did say, she was not denying that there might be what you might call networked uh, local radio yeah. programmes, which... She uh, sort of guaranteed that breakfast shows would, would, would yeah. continue to be very local, but there may be sh- sharing over bigger regions of, uh, of other programmes, too really means is they want to try and cut the 700 odd uh, journalists that they employ uh, back by a significant number. I mean she's pretty flinty on the basic issue which is that they have to be you know, abide by the Macorba rule and not uh, live above their income and cut by 20%. Networking, she's, she's, networking, she's, on, she's on message there. Networking of course having been such a success for global radio. Well of course. Um, <laughs> well it'll be interesting you mentioned global radio but it'll be interesting to see what uh, commercial radio have to, have to say about this um, if for instance it leads to um, BBC Local Radio networking, lots of shows in the, in the afternoon and evening, say. I think it's inevitably going to be a, more of a non-local service, probably more music-based. Mm. And that's exactly the sort of service that uh, the commercial radio provides at the moment. So it's, it's another case can of them I, putting their tanks on commercial make one lawn. very interesting point. I just had an email from, um, uh, in fact, the Church of England's uh, chief press officer. And yesterday there was um, a memorial service, or uh, sorry, a service for um, one of the most um, well-loved, uh, presenters for um, Three Counties Radio in Luton, Ian Pierce, and um, he was so loved by the community, according to the email I had, that the Bishop of Bedford gave, you know, was was did the service, and there was a huge overflow of people, his listeners, who just really relate to Three Counties Radio because he also covered Luton Football, Luton Town Football Club. I mean, that just shows you there is another side to all of this, which is that the BBC does connect at grassroots when it when it does its job well at mm. local radio. Okay, uh, I thought uh, Helen Bird had a very interesting line in her uh, remarks the VLV. Uh, she said, in an ideal world, we wouldn't be thinking about sharing content at all. We are not in an ideal world. Uh, uh, you know, it's quite exactly. honest, isn't it? Okay, well, we'll leave that there. Uh, there's more on all things BBC on mediaguardian.co.uk. 
Now, shortly before we came into the studio this week, it was announced that another senior News of the World journalist had been arrested as the police continue their inquiries into phone hacking, as I mentioned earlier. James Weatherup uh, is the tabloid's assistant news editor. His colleagues Ian Edmondson and Neville Thurlbeck were taken in for questioning and then released by the Met last week. And aside from this, there have been other developments in the story since we uh, were last with you. Uh, news International have now decided to admit liability in a certain number of cases. Uh, big development, that. While uh, John Whittingdale, the chairman of the Commons Culture and Media Select Committee called for a full public inquiry into the conduct at the News of the World. Well, what does it all mean for Murdoch & Co? I caught up with The Guardian's head of media, Dan Sabah, down in our newsroom a little earlier to find out. The weather arrest is significant because we hadn't really factored him in as a sort of likely target before. Uh, we thought uh, that it would be likely there would be further arrests in the Metropolitan Police Inquiry, but we thought it would be one of the names of probably really the former journalists who'd cropped up in Glenn Mulcair's notebooks. Uh, what, in fact, has happened is that they've they've picked on somebody that isn't hasn't been picked up in any of the civil cases that have been brought against NI, and there are some 24 of those at the moment, hadn't been mentioned in the original um, criminal prosecution of Clive Goodman back in the day. Um, so this is a real surprise. Uh, and it's fair to say that News International w- were themselves taken by surprise by this. We know this from, from, from the way they reacted. Yes, that's right. They, they, they were surprised. It took them a little while to sort of figure out what was going on. I mean, what they say is they've done a lot of scenario planning, they factor in the possibility that more reporters who work at the newspaper will indeed be arrested. I'm I'm in no doubt they've done that, but uh, I'd also be I'd be really surprised they thought that James Weatherup was a sort of top target or an early target for the police. I think, you know, what what this is showing them really is, as I say, the police are just much more determined to pursue this inquiry than we thought possible. It's a real change in mindset from the Met in about sort of two, three months. And and further evidence of of that has emerged at the case management hearing at the the High Court, which is a sort of parallel thing. This is the civil cases, uh, of course. But we've learned, haven't we, that that the latest investigation has turned up a, a, a rather large number number of potential victims. That's right. What the Met have gone and told, uh, said in court today uh, at this hearing is that there's at least 91 victims of phone hacking. Uh, we suspect there are many more, but they've certainly said there are 91, uh, which is far more than uh, 10 to 12, I think, that John Yates was, had been talking about a few years ago and repeated many times until relatively recently, Yates being the senior investigating officer previously responsible for the investigation. Uh, now, of course, we have uh, Sue Akers in charge and her team seem to be well, bringing this more uh, rigorous approach. So, uh, and, and the rigorous approach uh, included a, a visit, didn't it, to uh, to, to Wapping uh, and the offices of the, of the of the News of the World? And and how did how did, how did all that play out? Uh, uh, let's be clear about what happened yesterday. Actually, there wasn't a, a visit by detectives to the to the News of the World. Uh, uh, what happened was something slightly different. Once James Weatherup was arrested, uh, that gives the police uh, the right to search his property and indeed his desk at the office. What what the plan was to send a couple of plainclothes detectives down to Wapping uh, in order to search his desk and seize whatever evidence they saw fit. What in fact occurred was that NI, NI's legal team or its executive supervised by lawyers, what have you, we don't know who, uh, went down to his desk, bagged up its contents, um, uh, sealed it, took, took some witness statements, provided it to the police via, via their lawyers. Now, please... There's no suggestion that this is improper. Uh, certainly, that's not, there's no suggestion on proper. Certainly, NI is saying it's all done quite legally. But the police are not happy. Uh, the police uh, want to be able to conduct these searches themselves. Uh, they were unhappy last time when uh, Neville Thurbuck was arrested because they did go to the. Uh, news of the world offices but they were sort of rather bossed about and didn't have free reign and 
uh, the, the, the chiefs back at base really wanted the um, wanted the detectives to sort of be not pushed around this time. And what, what in fact happened was all the evidence was bagged up at their convenience. So uh, that seems like a curious thing to do. It may in the end amount to nothing very much, but. Uh, uh, as NI seeks to move beyond the kind of hacking crisis, uh, these sort of things will, you know, arouse comment. Uh, we should have a word about the how the uh, political de- uh, developments are, are going. Uh, Jeremy Hunt, the Culture Secretary, is considering the case for take the full takeover of B Sky B by Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation. Will, will all of this have any bearing on that? No, it won't. Uh, uh, Jeremy Hunt's people continue to say, and they, they said they said to me again today that uh, that the takeover, uh, the proposed takeover of Sky by News Corporation, is not something that uh, is relevant. And it's not relevant because that's being examined. The takeover that is is being examined on uh, on grounds of media plurality. That is to say, whether Rupert Murdoch controls too many media powerful media outlets in the UK. It's been examined on those grounds, and you know, subject to a final run around the park, it will be approved. Uh, uh, the the question of phone hacking and so forth pertains, according to their legal advice, to what's called the suitability of persons test. And that was a test designed uh, many years ago, really to stop, more well, in theory, to stop pornographers buying newspapers, although not been very successful. But um, uh, but nevertheless, uh, it exists. It doesn't get used, but it exists. And so, only a referral under that basis would, uh, only if there was a referral under that basis, would phone hacking be uh, taken into consideration. Uh, and crucially and apparently here's a law which is once you refer to one set of grounds you can't refer on a second set of grounds so all this stuff about phone hacking is we are told totally irrelevant to the sky takeover and there you go very okay. strange uh, where does all this uh, go from here then because uh, we have news international uh, having made an attempt to to close down the the, uh, the civil cases or at least start to bring that that process to an end uh, but we've got the criminal case ongoing it does it does seem it's like it's like one of those games where you you, you, you know try and pop down one uh, uh, one thing and another one pops up somewhere else where you didn't expect. That's what's, that, that seems to be what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Is that bash the chipmunk or something? Well, that, that's the one you get in the fairs. It, it's exactly right. And every time you think you can predict where this is going, something else pops up. Uh, look, something else happened today that we weren't expecting, which is with, uh, uh, where Krista Dick, another senior uh, detective at, uh, in the Metropolitan Police, wrote to Keith Faz and said, well, we're going to have a look at some of the things that Rebecca Brooks said eight years ago to MPs eight years ago she'd said that's right she she had admitted in rather unguarded moment that uh, we had in the past paid the police for information and it wasn't clear or they're trying to now say that it wasn't clear who the we was referring to and they're now saying that it didn't refer to the news of the world but refer to newspapers generally but that's a a, a moot point isn't it Uh, well quite quite so and indeed uh, and that clip has been played on television many many times finally uh, the Home Affairs Select Committee decided to ask, ask Rebecca what she meant eight years later they did so and her reply was broadly to the effect of well when I said this I was talking about newspapers generally and I didn't know if any specific examples and really I don't really know what you're talking about actually um, however the police Cresta Dick has also written to Keith Faz and said well we're going to have a look at this and we'll see whether this could give rise to a further criminal investigation it, it, it's an offence to pay police for information so, so there's a you know there's a something of a you know again something of a problem here and it just goes to show that there's always something that can pop up um uh, whether it's in the civil cases or whether it's in the criminal cases or whether it's this
Uh, Dan Sabber there. Quick word from you two uh, here in the studio. Uh, did, uh, did either of you see the, the Hugh Grant article in the New Statesman? I did. Entertaining stuff. Yes, this yeah. was the uh, the bugger bugged, wasn't it? This is what the headline was. He, he had uh, he had interviewed one of the former uh, executives who has turned whistleblower, who now run, runs a pub in Dover, and, and secretly taped it. Taped it, and uh, you know he uh, he admitted it all. It all, all went on, didn't he? But interesting, I thought that that's, that article only took off this week when it went online because the New Statesman don't put. On, put their stuff on Took online a few until, days. The, until the week after, but, uh, but it was a really entertaining read. It was, it was, which is where I read it on, on, yes. online. Yeah, that um, <laughs> no, was great stuff. And he was saying essentially that um, uh, you know movie stars and people in the public eye, you know, sort of almost get what they deserve because they because they make their living off their image. Yes, the former news of the world guy said that. That's not, right, not Hugh, Hugh Grant, but yes. Um, and Hugh Grant gave his pub a plug at the end. So and yes. said said, that, said uh, despite their differences, uh, he, he quite liked him. I think. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay. Him a drink, I wonder. Well, exactly. Okay, we'll no doubt come back to that next week. Uh, there's plenty more on hacking. Uh, over on MediaGuardian.co.uk. Now, you've heard Guardian.co.uk's TV editor, Vicky Frost, on the pod before. Uh, now, I'm delighted to say she's going to become a regular feature, which is very exciting, Vicky. Did you know this? I- I'm thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I will have to come up with an appropriate title for, the, for this slot. Um, but for this inaugural lighting, I think we should call it the Gareth McLean Memorial Lecture. Uh, anyway, um, let, I think we should start with uh, uh, si- Simon Cowell. Apparently, his poor old mum's worried that X Factor may be uh, da- damaging his health, which is a shame, obviously, because we wouldn't want that. Uh, he's, well, he's certainly busy. He's got X Factor here... And and in America, uh, he's got, what, he's got America's, America's Got Talent, hasn't he, Vicky? And um, what's, all, what's this new jackpot game with Anton Deck that he's got called Red or Black? You don't know anything about that, nor do I. But, um, but, but we, were talking, we mentioned um, Britain's Got Talent. He's not going to be in that, so he has at least taken some, a few weeks off. But he will be back for the, for the last week, I think, Vicky, won't he? Yeah, um, and then there's still lots of controversy surrounding whether he will or will not be here for the X Factor. Oh, right, that's not been decided, is it? That's still swirling around. Oh, right, excellent. Well, I, I mean, he, he is such a big figure. I mean, can, can ITV cope without him, do you think? I don't think... I think um, his shows now have just become so enormous that actually they can quite happily survive without Simon Cowell. It's not... I don't think what he does is totally magic. He's just generally a bit ruder than the rest of the judges. I'm sure someone else can step into that role. I think he's become actually less ruder than... Mm. um, uh, Because the last series of X Factor, he wasn't really very rude at all. You know, no. just, I think he really turned, 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 toned it down. Yeah, I think so. Far less pantomime villain, and he's trying to be far more respected, the one they want to respect them. But really, whether Simon Cowell respects you or not, you know, has absolutely no bearing on how good you are or how decent your career is going His to His judgment be. is just as useless as Cheryl Cole's, is it, frankly? Probably worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, any, anyway, so uh, that's that. Um, I, I don't think we should talk any more about Simon Cowell, apart from who, the, who his potential replacements might, might be. I, I think... Uh, Musakusa is looking for a job, isn't he, at the moment? <laughs> Perhaps uh, Nick Clegg. It's uh, a great opportunity for you th- oh, Maggie, yes, you think? They can, they can recast um, X Factor. He isn't, um, you know, irreplaceable. It depends who they get. My prediction is, that anyway, that without Britain's Got Talent, uh, it, it will be a better show this year because the ratings were down 25% last y- You mean year. without Cowell, Britain's without, Got Talent? Without, yes, be, be but without show. Simon Cowell, Britain's Got Talent, certainly in the run-up, will be better. And I think Michael McIntyre's an absolutely inspired choice because everybody loves him. And no, he's no, a no, warm no. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> Middle England loves him. And what's more, I don't think that Piers Morgan was particularly suited to it either. So I don't know how David Hasselhoff will come across. We just have to hope it's a recorded show, so he's kind of OK. Well, I but- saw the, uh, I've seen the first show. 
and uh, Hasselhoff was uh, was a waste of space. But McIntyre, actually, I think it's just snooty Guardian types don't like Michael McIntyre. You know, he's the nation's favourite stand-up comic. He's the second funniest man in Britain. The point is, I know that the series last year did not go down well. The ratings were off by 25%. The act that won it was not a particularly wonderful act. Smallville. And Oh, no, Spellbound, sorry. Spellbound. They were Spellbound. They were They haven't had a single hit record. They have not had it. They were not good. What do you mean they were dancing? So there's a huge opportunity to actually regenerate uh, Britain's Got Talent. And the same goes for X Factor. After all, you know, when you think about it, Pop Idol in America has survived without Simon Cole and done very well. The ratings are up. I don't think Britain's Got Talent needs... What Britain's Got Talent needs is new judges. I don't think that's how it's going to be revitalised, to be honest. I think what's slightly got tired is the acts, because generally they are a load of rubbish. I mean... That's yeah, Britain it's, it's, doesn't really have talent. That's slightly <laughs> the problem behind it's, the whole programme. It's a tried and tested and ground into the dust formula, I think. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's, it's kids, dogs, idiots, or idiots that turn out to be quite good. Yeah, OK. Well, the, 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 I think probably we should just leave that there. Uh, but fortunately, fortunately for snooty Guardian types, there is a, the, 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 there's a new foreign language European murder hunt series back on BBC4. Well, exactly. It's right up my snooty Guardian <laughs> reader street, actually. <laughs> this is Spiral. Comments than viewers on the Guardian. <laughs> it does, yeah. yeah this is possibly. Spiral. Yes, it is Spiral, which has been on BBC Four for two series. Yes, Um, and this is very long series, is what has to be said. Oh no, they're only about thirteen weeks or something. I think just feels like it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's not quite as long as the killing at twenty weeks, but um, uh, yes. So that's it's been on uh, BBC Four series one and two, and now we're on to series three. And I think they've put it into the killing slot, and you know, it's another Euro crime sort of drama. It's very good. It's really good. It's uh, quite different from The Killing. It's not like sort of your immediate killing replacement. Less Um, knitwear for a start. Less knitwear. It's a bit more procedural. It's a bit more like a sort of... At times, no, this won't make it sound good. Law and order. At times, well, more like the bill. <laughs> a very <laughs> sort of cross, like rough French. Though. Doesn't that put people off? I mean, do you really want to what, read subtitles on I a don't. Saturday I think night? This is, I think this is totally... But I don't, I'm <laughs> afraid. But I don't think people really care about subtitles. But that's why I think there aren't any really viewers. I think, but it does have viewers. It is quite well for BBC4, in the same way The Killing did extremely well for yeah. BBC4. And I, do, I just think their subtitles argument is totally... Overworked. I mean, if you want to watch a French, if you want to watch French drama, I'd much rather watch it with subtitles and have to concentrate than terrible dubbing. I mean, that's yeah. awful. Fortu- and- fortunately, I speak fluent French, so this does, I don't have to read subtitles. <laughs> I'm, I'm addicted to subtitles now. I have to watch uh, since. Uh, do you watch English programs? Since, I do watch English programs subtitles. Yeah, yeah, because uh, well, it helps with a with a, a young baby who's uh, incessantly crying or trying to fall asleep. You put the subtitles on, so I, I now have. I watch location, location, location I subtitles. Think, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, this will be more, much more up. Um, uh, Maggie Street is that David Jason's coming back to BBC One for his uh, first new comedy series in 20 years. It's called um, it's called The Royal Bodyguard. Should we be bracing ourselves for the new uh, Only F- Only Fools and Horses, or is it the next My Family? I, I've never found Only Fools and Horses funny, so oh. I don't ni- neither really. It would be up would be something I would watch. Yeah. But, what about um, if you had subtitles? <laughs> exactly. Then I'd love it, and particularly if it was dubbed into French at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, and MasterChef is nearing the end of its run, which is uh, well, well, that's uh, well, 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 this the new se- it's the new revamped MasterChef. Yeah. It, so, what is your verdict on on the, on the series? Well, it's just incredibly boring. It's you know they basically they've gone and taken 
uh, so there was MasterChef, and then there was Australian MasterChef, yeah. which was sort of like our MasterChef, but a billion times better yeah. and huge in Australia. So then they took some of the elements from Australian MasterChef and they put those back into our MasterChef, and the result is just rubbish. It's, you know boring basically i don't really care about any of the contestants because they're trying to make it more of a thing where where, where, where they're trying to be a bit more showbiz and they had the cook-off thing at the beginning to you know and all like the uh, auditions process sort of bit x-factory wasn't it but yeah and john cried at someone (laughs) i mean ridiculous i don't want to see john and greg crying at people you know you just want to see them being ridiculous and shoving loads of forkfuls of food down their mouth and sort of saying rich irony velvety goodness that's what you want to see and if that's not happening then and what's the point of MasterChef? Yeah, I think this has been a, it hasn't been a altogether uh, a runaway success, has it? Have you, have you, are you John? Uh, I've seen a few. It feels like they're trying to shoehorn bits of The Apprentice into it as well, with sort of the big dramatic music and the sort of showpiece, uh, showpiece giant dinners they have to put on. And uh, yeah, it left me cold. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, which is not a good, good way uh, to uh, uh, for food to be, of course. Um, it's uh, it's spring though, so it means that as well as lambing live and uh, which is which is on at the moment, isn't it? Which John, I'm sure, is probably big fan. Think, yeah, I thought yeah, spring watch must be coming soon, or are they, are they not it doing that? Last night, oh, right, there we are. Did it? I didn't know that. Oh, and, God. Um, but it also means that it's uh, Doctor Who, and it's it's not just a special; it's a new series, isn't it? Because, yeah, is that right? it's a new series. So we'll were, get... you the, were you at the, at the previous screening? No, I wasn't no, none of us got invited. <laughs> right. well, you it was. Yeah. And I was. How come you all got invited and uh, Vicky Frost and I didn't? I, this is an outrage. I gave John Plunkett oh, my right. invitation kindly. I see. You could have given it to me. Um, uh, <laughs> what was it like, John? Excellent. It yep. was a. It was a. It was a chair. Uh, it was a. It was a edge of my seat. Uh, oh, excellent. Yeah. So uh, I've been told to cut out the uh, cliches. For, first, uh, this is the, you saw the first. Episode. I saw uh, the first uh, two episodes actually. Yeah, so it's a, it's a two-parter cliffhanger. Somebody dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Somebody the, very important mm-hmm. dies. Oh goodness. Or maybe not at all. Uh, but it was uh, it was really good. It took a little while to warm up. I thought there was a, a lot of um, exposition and uh, a lot of cr- um, slightly clunky dialogue maybe at the start to sort of set things up. But I thought it was genuinely scary, actually. I, I was... Um I was next to a, a, a very well-lit exit sign, and I, at one point I crossed my legs and uh, scared myself with my shadow. It was, it was that scary. Yeah, so, I, I looked down. Good. There's, a very nasty, there's some very, very nasty villains or aliens there are, in this. There are, a bit like the bad guys from And Predator. even though you know they come from the prosthetics department and they're made out of whatever they're made out of, plastic. I think it's this. They, nonetheless, it's the silence, the they're, not, they're not nice. No, no, no. They're, they're, oh, they're, they're real. They, yeah. they have actors who do this. I, I, this I know. Yeah, the only thing I felt about it, and I do think this is a problem, uh, the, the first episodes are set in it's it's a story set in america and you just can see on screen if you know anything about television the fact that huge amounts probably half the budget is now coming from bbc america and bbc worldwide i mean you know it it does have a sense of it probably good for us having a slight you might say transatlantic um, mm, makeover feel. have you heard that that uh, that the chinese government is chinese government is cracking down on tv shows uh, that feature time travel is that right? Yeah, because it's not realistic. They're not realistic enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, uh, well, so. What are they going to do with The Apprentice? <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. Okay. Uh, uh, um, any, any, anything else we need to know about any other bits of television coming up, Vicky? Well, the beginning, the first week of May looks like uh, just a week to stay in on, basically, because I think we've got the Shadow Line and, and uh, Exile from the BBC, 
both of which look fantastic. And I think that might be when The Apprentice, around about then, is when The Apprentice is back as well. Is it back already? Well, because last, remember, it was put back for the, because of the election. Well, I see, it? I felt it was only just finished, it had only finished. Well, it has only yeah. just finished, but just in case Alan Sugar made us, you know, sight of him, made it, us go out and vote differently. Yes, of course, um, that's, yes, I've forgotten about that. The, the, the last series was, was postponed. Yeah, so now this is like back in its sort of, in its home, in its right. original slot. Well, well it's, it's all, to look, all to look forward to, isn't it? Well, uh, that's for another week. Um, uh, so we should, I think we should just finish with that. Uh, thank you very much, Vicky. Uh, and uh, hopefully you'll be back, back, back next week because it was such a triumph. Um, it's uh, just time to finish with a pearl of wisdom about what we've learnt from our past seven days in the media. Maggie, what have, what have you well, found out? Well, I've learnt that Hollyoaks is, is, I wouldn't say it's on the slide at Channel 4, but I wouldn't say it's as secure as it was a year ago. Hollywood's um, about to be axed, say, shock. I don't say it's about to be axed, but I do know that um, there are independent producers out there uh, pitching to the new creative officer, Jay Hunt, um, with their alternative ideas. Uh-huh. This, is a, this is a soap that's been going for 16 years. It did replace Brookside. Uh, so it's it not irreplaceable? A big, it's not irreplaceable. It did have a big makeover last autumn, and the person who organised that uh, is no longer with the with the production company. I'm, so I'm not saying it's, it's on the slide, but I am saying, uh, you know, watch this space, mm, 6.30. OK. Uh, jo- uh, John Plunkett. Oh, this is what I learned. This is slightly sad. This is from the, uh, the Guardian editorial on Wednesday about the World Service cuts, uh, which uh, says the Foreign Affairs Committee is often lazily described as influential. <laughs> and this is, my, this is my introduction to the World Service cuts in the paper on the same day. An influential cross-party committee of MPs. <laughs> so I have learnt never to call the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee influential right. ever again. Yeah, very good. Thank you very much. Our blog links to everything we've discussed. Uh, that's at guardian.co.uk slash media talk. Uh, we'll be with you slightly earlier than, uh, than usual next week due to the Easter Bank holiday. Uh, media talk is produced by Ben Green and uh, I've been Matt Wells. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.